I, uh, I wonder if you've ever had one of those encounters with somebody, uh, a chance meeting with somebody famous, um, you know, the kind of story that you always tell at your dinner parties. Um, I don't have one. <laughs> but my wife, was, uh, when she was seven or eight years old, um, my wife Jo, she's, uh, she's over in kids' church today. Uh, we had so many kids, we needed extra helpers, and so she's over there today, but she knows I'm going to tell this story. Uh, when she was seven or eight years old, or eight or nine, I can't remember, but she was in Hawaii on vacation, and she and her mother stepped into an elevator, um, and afterwards in stepped Ronald Reagan with all of his security guards. Uh, he was the president at the time. Can you imagine? I don't think that would happen these days. But uh, Ronald Reagan steps into the same elevator as my eight or nine-year-old wife. She wasn't my wife at the time. <laughs> I was going to say, this isn't being recorded, but it is, isn't it? <laughs> uh, apparently, there was, you know, big security guys with guns and badges. It was all very exciting, and, and you know, they've been dining out on this story ever since. Um, sometimes we meet a person, and it changes the course of your life. I don't actually think that changed the course of my wife's life, but um, it gave her a story to tell at dinner parties. But sometimes we do meet a person, and it changes the course of your life. And so for the next eight weeks, as I said, we'll be looking at stories of people who met, I think, the most famous person who ever lived. Um, it's all about people who met Jesus, uh, how they were changed by it, and we're calling it Encounters with God, and, and I hope over the next eight weeks we all get the chance to encounter Jesus uh, in ways that we haven't encountered Him before, uh, and I'm praying that we'll all be changed as well by these encounters. Uh, so why don't we pray as we begin that even this morning we would encounter Jesus as we begin this new Bible series. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we open your Bible today, help us to have a fresh encounter with Jesus. Help us to see him in new ways, to meet him in new ways, and to trust him in a way that changes everything. Father, help us to encounter Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. And by the way, you might have noticed I have a strange accent. I'm from the deep south. I'm from Australia. Um, if you can't understand me too well, or if you'd like to listen again to the sermon, this will be online, and you can watch it at um, yontvillechurch.org and go to the sermons. Um, I also have printed versions of the sermon. Um, some of you like to read along like subtitles. Um, I mainly say what's on here. So uh, just so you know, we have some spare copies out the back. Uh, well, it is Easter, and uh, Easter holds a special place in my life, uh, and that's uh, because Easter was one of the first significant moments I ever had um, that got me thinking about the place of religion in my life. See, I didn't grow up in a religious family. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. Uh, we went to church a few times uh, when I was a child, but that didn't really last very long. We moved from one side of Australia to, to the other side, from the east coast to the west coast, uh, when I was in elementary school. Uh, but then when, we, uh, when I finished elementary, we, we moved back across. Um, I found out this week, Australia and the U.S. are almost exactly the same width. Um, L.A. to New York is 500 miles further than the distance across Australia. Who knew? Um, I do now. <laughs> we drove back across in the family uh, Tarago, it was back then, the, um, one of those Toyota vans. And um, the last place we stopped, the very last night of our trip, we, we stayed at a little country town called Gundagai. Um, very famous. It has a dog on a tucker box. You don't know what that means, but... Um, I have at least one person in the room who maybe does. Gundagai, this little country town, it's like stopping in Yonville, right? And um, 
I remember it distinctly because we arrived at these people's house, it was friends of my parents, and there was somebody who wasn't there to greet us. Um, and that was one of their kids, a, a girl who was my age. And, um, and the reason I remember was not because I remember anything about the girl, but because she went to church. She'd gone to an Easter service. And um, I remember asking the parents, why would anybody want to go to an Easter service? Why would anybody want to go to church? And um, the mom said, because it's important to her. Um, I don't remember anything about the family or anything about the, the girl. I'm, I'm not sure I even ever met her. But I remember that conversation. It's important to her. Uh, how could Jesus be so important that you would make him part of your life all of the time? That conversation has stuck with me for 35 years. Um, I was so intrigued that a person would, would kind of have such a vision of Jesus, such an encounter with Jesus, that he would become part of their life. And then three or four years later, I had my own encounter with Jesus. And, and all of a sudden, it made sense. I could understand why she wanted to go. Our character and our story today has an encounter with Jesus, and all of a sudden it makes sense. Jesus makes sense to us. So come to the Bible passage. Our, our Bible passage today opens on this tragic scene. There's a woman standing outside a tomb, and she's crying. Um, she's called Mary. That's what it says in verse 11. Go back a few verses. She's Mary Magdalene. Um, Mary Magdalene had been one of Jesus' followers. Um, in the book of Luke, it tells us, she was demon-possessed. Seven demons had come out of her. Um, in Marth, uh, Matthew, Mark, and John, well, they all named Mary Magdalene as somebody who watched at the crucifixion. She stood there and watched as Jesus died. Uh, she also went to the tomb where he was buried. Um, other than that, though, we don't know much about Mary Magdalene. This is probably the most we learn about her in this passage. But this passage, it opens, and Mary is standing outside the tomb of Jesus, and she's weeping. She's weeping in front of the tomb of Jesus. Um, it's Easter Sunday. It's no spoiler, probably, to tell you about the story leading up to the events um, of this passage. Uh, you know that Jesus had spent three years traveling and teaching, uh, and teaching about the kingdom of God. He'd healed the sick. He'd cast out demons just like he did with Mary Magdalene. He gathered huge crowds who wanted to hear him speak. They were eager. They were eager to hear his teaching, eager to watch him perform miracles, um, eager to listen on religion. Their old religion was being made new and fresh and, and exciting by Jesus. He captured the attention of a nation and the whole world was abuzz with talk of what Jesus might do if he really was the Messiah, this long-awaited king uh, who would save God's people. But not everybody loved Jesus. Um, he taught with this authority, right? He taught with this authority that the religious rulers found very confronting. Uh, he, he threatened to undermine their religious establishment. And so those religious leaders, they plotted to kill Jesus, to have him killed. They arrested Jesus. They hauled him before a religious council, all kinds of charges, blasphemy. And then they handed him over to the Roman authorities and the Roman governor Pontius Pilate, um, he tried Jesus. You could actually find no charge against Jesus. There was nothing worthy of uh, executing, but the crowds kept calling out, crucify, crucify. And the crowd in the end, one out over justice. A pilot gives in to the will of the crowd. He orders the execution of Jesus by crucifixion. That's why we keep a cross here in the church to remind ourselves that Jesus died. And just like that, the life of Jesus was ended. This, this brilliant life, it was ended by crucifixion. 
and his body was laid in a tomb and a stone was rolled over the entrance. And that all took place on the Friday, um, the day before the Sabbath. And uh, our passage opens on Sunday morning when Mary Magdalene, she'd woken up. Uh, She'd woken up early. It was still dark and she went to the tomb of Jesus with spices to anoint his body for burial, to prepare him for the grave. But um, when she arrives, the stone has been rolled away. The stone is gone and um, she runs back to find the other disciples. She finds Peter and she finds John and she tells them, "Um, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and I don't know where they've put his body. She's looking for him and she doesn't know and she's all upset. Peter and John, they run to the tomb and then they look inside and all they see on the ground are strips of linen, the kind of thing that you would wrap a body in for burial. That's all that's left. And then the passage just tells us that they leave. We don't know what they do. They just go back to where they were staying. And Mary is left outside the tomb, weeping and in tears. Uh, One of the harder parts of my job as a pastor is um, taking funerals. Um, Actually, the funeral is probably not the hard part. The hardest part is sitting with family members as they grieve the loss of a loved one, Um, as they process the death of somebody and the sadness of losing somebody so important. Uh, I've stood at the graveside and I've watched men and women weep, just like Mary wept. They're devastated and distraught because death is an unwelcome part of life. Um, This side of heaven, death comes to us it's sadly something we all learn the longer we walk through life. But Easter Sunday, right, Easter Sunday, it takes that expectation of death and it turns it upside down. It turns it upside down. Have a look at verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb. She was crying. And as she wept, she stooped and she looked in and she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where Jesus' body had been lying. The angels asked her, dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus is dead, right? She says, because they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've put him. I love Mary's response at this point. Um, Everywhere else in the Bible, when angels turn up, people are terrified and they, you know, they fall to the floor. But not Mary. The angels ask her, why is she crying? And she says exactly what she told the other disciples. She's upset because... As far as she can logically discern, somebody has taken away the body of Jesus. That's what her logic tells her. The body's not here. Somebody must have taken it. And that is the logical conclusion, isn't it? Um, Somebody has taken the body, but who would have done it? Well, if it was the religious leaders or the Roman authorities, um, they wanted to dispel the rumor that Jesus was going to be resurrected. And so the government, they could have held on to the body, couldn't they? They could have held on to the body, and then when people said, Jesus is resurrected, they could have pulled out the body and said, no, he's not. Here he is. They never did that. That was actually their plan, do you know? That's why the, the big stone was rolled in front. They rolled a stone in front of the tomb. They posted a Roman guard there so that nobody could break in, nobody could steal the body. The Roman soldier's job who was guarding it, um, if anybody broke in, he himself would be executed. And he wasn't going to do that. Well, Mary arrives and there's no guard at the tomb, just the stone rolled away. And so her logical conclusion is that the authorities have removed the body. Um, By the way, you know that no body was ever produced. Nobody's ever been able to find. Most Easter's they say, look, we found a tomb and there's a body rolled in it. Nobody knows who it is. Um, But it makes no logical sense to argue that the government would have taken away 
Jesus' body, they could have shut down Christianity in a flash um, by showing Jesus' dead body. Um, you might argue that the disciples took the body, and um, in the book of Matthew, that's what we hear as well. Um, the, the authorities, they say, well, we think, we think the uh, disciples have done it. Let's tell the story that that's what they did. Um, they didn't want people to believe in the resurrection. I think it takes a huge amount of faith to believe that all of these conspiracies happened to hide the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Um, the much easier conclusion is to believe all of the hundreds of witnesses who saw him time and time again, who touched him and who held on to him. Well, there's another logical conclusion um, that we have to draw as we look at this, sen- uh, at this scene, and, and it's that Mary wasn't expecting a resurrection. Mary wasn't expecting a resurrection. Um, she was expecting to find a dead body. Um, even when the two angels ask her why she was crying, she's still looking for the body. Uh, and that's when a new character appears. Uh, look at verse 14. She turned to leave, and she saw somebody standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. A dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? Um, it's a delicious moment, isn't it? Um, <laughs> how can she not recognize Jesus? Um, this is a woman who had followed Jesus probably for a couple of years. Um, she'd been there at his death. She, she knew that his body was laid there in the tomb. And um, surely of all people, Mary Magdalene is the one who's going to recognize Jesus, but, but she doesn't. And we do because they've told us in the story that it's Jesus. She mistakes him for the gardener. And so she says to him, sir, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll go and get him. Mary's still looking for a body. It's so ironic, isn't it? She's looking at the resurrected Jesus and she's still looking for his own body. Because who could possibly believe that a dead person might somehow come back to life? How could you possibly believe that? It doesn't make logical sense. That's not how our universe works. Dead people stay dead. Um, Do you know, Jesus had told his followers that um, he would be killed and that on the third day he would rise again. Uh, Even the religious rulers, Jesus' enemies heard him say it. That's why they put the guard at the tomb, because they didn't want the rumor to come true. They didn't think it was going to happen. And it looks from this passage that Mary Magdalene didn't think Jesus was going to be resurrected either. Nobody expected Jesus to be raised from the dead. Um, And that's what's illogical about this story because actually, if anybody could defy death, it was Jesus. All through his three years of teaching, he'd done all of these miracles. He'd, He'd changed people. He'd restored their bodies. He'd even brought people back from beyond the grave. His good friend Lazarus and a little girl, he'd called her out of the tomb and she was alive. Surely if anybody could do it, it was Jesus. He'd already proved that he could bring people back from the life. But Mary now, she looks at Jesus and she doesn't recognize him. The evidence is literally staring her in the face and uh, she can't see it. She can't see it. It doesn't even occur to her that Jesus would be alive. And this little interaction teaches us a a deep truth about uh, about humanity. A pastor, Tim Keller, he puts it like this. He says, in every human being, there is an inherent spiritual blindness We can't see the truth. Faith is impossible without supernatural intervention from God himself. I got my first pair of glasses a few years ago. Here they are. You've probably never seen me wear them because I only wear them in the office. Um, I've always prided myself on uh, my excellent vision, especially my long-sightedness. If you come up and have a look, I actually print this in size 21 now. Um, Every year it goes up a little bit and sometimes multiple times. Soon there'll be like three words per page. Um, 
either that or I might start wearing my glasses. Um, and I find it hard to see you all with my glasses on. But, um, you know, I was so proud of my long-sightedness. And, um, you know, you can see the bottom line of the eye testing chart, so you feel fantastic about yourself. Um, I can't read up close, but um, apart from that, it's excellent. So um, I remember I got fitted for the prescription, and um, I was in a mall, and um, the eye doctor said, said, have a look across the other side of the mall and, and you know, read something. And, and I read this tiny script. And he says, now try the glasses on. I put the glasses on, and I, I felt like Superman. Oh, I, like, I thought I could see really far, but now, I, you know, I could see forever. Um, I could see so clearly. And that's what this passage teaches us, right? We might think we see the world clearly, but when Jesus opens our eyes, all of a sudden we see the world with a clarity that we never would have imagined. We couldn't have imagined it. It takes the supernatural in intervention of God to open our eyes. He opens our eyes for us, and that's exactly what happens in our Bible passage today. Jesus intervenes, and with just one word, Jesus removes Mary's spiritual blindness. Verse 16, Mary, Jesus said. That's all, that's all it took, one word, Mary. And she turns, she obviously recognizes him, Rabboni, my teacher. Isn't it a fantastic moment? She, she hears one word, she hears Jesus' voice, and the blinders are removed. Jesus speaks, and Mary's reality is changed forever. I often wonder what it would be like to be Mary, um, you know, to see this resurrected Jesus in the flesh in front of you, um, to see him alive after she'd seen him die. Um, we have to imagine that possibility. Uh, we only get to imagine it, right? But Mary, she got to see it with her own eyes. Wow. Um, she got to hold on to Jesus, and Jesus ends up saying, don't to me, but she gets to touch him and to hug him. Um, this isn't like some spiritual reunion of disembodied souls. This is genuine life beyond the grave. This is physical flesh and blood. It's life that exists even after our mortal bodies have been buried in the earth. This is a foretaste of the eternal life that the Bible promises. It's simply stunning to imagine. One word, and Mary's reality has changed forever. What word would Jesus need to say to you for the blinders to come off? What would it take to believe in the possibility of the resurrection? What word could change your reality forever? I'm kind of envious of Mary. Um, when I first encountered Jesus, I was 16. Um, I, was a, I was at youth group, and my friend invited me along. I didn't have this instantaneous kind of eyes open moment. Um, I went along for a few months. It was kind of slow. And I kept going along and I heard more and more about Jesus. And um, I kept asking questions. And then one day in youth group, they said, break up into little groups and pray. And, uh, and so I did. And I'm praying. And this girl I knew since elementary, she said, you're praying. You've become a Christian. I was like, oh, I think you're right. Um, <laughs> kind of snuck up on me a little bit. But see, all of a sudden, life didn't make sense without Jesus. That was the only way that the life made sense to me anymore. It's like his voice had opened my eyes for the first time. Um, I love this passage. I've only given you a little bit of John chapter 20. But just in John chapter 20, um, there are four different uh, people who meet Jesus, have an encounter. There's John, the one who writes it. There's Peter. There's Mary, who we've just looked at. And there's Thomas. And, and they all have different responses. Um, Thomas refuses to believe until he can touch Jesus and put his hands in the holes. 
He needs to know that Jesus is real. It takes people time, it takes people different amounts of time to understand this and to get it, for it to kind of sink in and become real. And that means if you're not quite convinced yet, but you're interested, keep at it, keep searching, keep seeking encounters with Jesus. Um, keep asking Jesus to intervene and to open your eyes, because he will if you want him to. Um, Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. The resurrection is one of the most exciting ideas in the Bible. But it's more than an idea. It's a reality. And the resurrection of Jesus shows us that there is genuine hope of life beyond the grave. Hope of life without end. Hope of life that goes on forever. And you know what? One day, each of us will wake up from the grave and we will hear Jesus call our name. And on that day, it will become clear. Why don't you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story that you've recorded for us in the Bible of Mary seeing Jesus. We ask that you would remove the blinders, help us to see Jesus clearly, help us to believe in the resurrection and to trust in you for eternal life. And we pray this in Jesus' precious, precious name. Amen.